Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. For free resources and free messages, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us for more information at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. We get ready to start our lesson. If you'd like to turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 13, then we'll uh, get ready and uh, let's look to God in prayer. Lord, again, we come so, so knowing of our great need to be taught by God this morning. And so we pray, Lord, calm all the distracting thoughts and open our hearts that we might learn from you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Genesis chapter 13, we're beginning now at verse 1. And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, all that he had, lot with him, into the south. Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and gold, and he went on in his journeys from south even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Ai, and unto the place of the altar, which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord, and Lot also, which went up to Abram, had flocks and herds and tents. And the land was not able to bear them, that they might dwell together, for their substance was great, so that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle, and the Canaanite, the Perizzite, dwelt in the, then in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen. For we be brethren, is not the whole land before thee separate thyself, I pray thee from me. If thou wilt take the left hand, I'll go to the right. And if thou depart to the right hand, then I'll go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes, beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere. For the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, as thou comest unto Zoar. And Lot chose him, all the plain of Jordan. And Lot journeyed east and separated himself the one from the other. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain and pitched his tent towards Sodom. All right, now, in our last study, you remember with the first verse we came to here in chapter 13, verse 1, where it says, Abram went up out of Egypt. Those words, Abram went up out of Egypt, are very, very important because what they really constitute is a bookend. It's a bookend in Abraham's life. It's actually the last bookend in this history in Abraham's life. Because the first bookend, you remember in Genesis 12.10, where it said Abram went down into Egypt. So when Abram went down into Egypt, that was a terrible experience. That was the beginning of a terrible experience for Abraham. We could call that Abraham's terrible Egypt experience. That's what it was. So those words, and Abram went down into Egypt, they don't just mean that Abram just traveled down into Egypt. We know that when Abram went down into Egypt, that Abram went spiritually down into Egypt. That was a terrible time for Abraham. It was Abraham's terrible Egypt experience because that was the time for Abraham when instead of believing God, that God would give children to Abraham before he died, that Abraham feared for his life and devised this lie that put Sarah in great danger 
and put Abraham in a place of great embarrassment where he was rightly rebuked by Pharaoh, who in essence was saying to Abraham, what's the matter with you? Why don't you trust the greatness and mightiness of God, who I've just had experience with? So this verse, you know, in verse 1, where it starts off and it says, Abram went up out of Egypt, we saw from verses 3 and 4 in this chapter that as soon as Abraham came out of Egypt, that he made this beeline to get back to where he left God. And so we saw in those verses 3 and 4 the importance of those words, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning. And the other part, unto the place of the altar which he had made at the first. And so those words, at the beginning, those words, at the first, show for us a strong desire that Abraham had. What kind of desire did Abraham have? Abraham had a strong desire to return to God. Abraham had a strong desire to get back to his old life of worship and dedication to God. Abraham had this strong desire to come home to the place, to his life, where he was calling on the name of the Lord as his practice. He, Abraham had this strong desire. He, his life was, with God was dead, and he wanted, had this strong desire to reanimate it, get it going again. So the words in verse 1 are very important when it says, and Abraham went up out of Egypt. They don't just mean again that Abraham traveled out of Egypt. We know that when Abraham went up out of Egypt, Abraham went spiritually up out of Egypt. So those words in verse 1, Abraham went out of Egypt, are the second, they're the final bookend. And they mark the end of Abraham's terrible Egypt experience. That's why we call Genesis 12.10 and Genesis 13.1 the two bookends of Abraham's terrible Egypt experience. Abraham went down into Egypt. That's the start of his terrible Egypt experience. He went up out of Egypt. That's the end. Those words are so encouraging to us. Why are they encouraging? Because we have times in our lives when we go down into Egypt. We have our own terrible Egypt experiences. And we have the times in our lives when we fall into sin. And God wants us to look at this history here of Abraham and see that there can be a second bookend. God wants us to say when we fall into sin that just as there was that one bookend, the same for Abraham, which was the beginning of his terrible Egypt experience, he wants us like Abraham to come up out of that terrible Egypt experience. He wants us to have a second bookend like Abraham does in the end. So the Lord Jesus Christ, he's always holding open his arms to us, and he's saying, let's close this chapter in your life. This is enough. Let's put the second bookend on it that reads the end of your terrible Egypt experience. When we have our terrible Egypt experience, the Lord Jesus Christ is saying the same thing to us that he said to the Jewish people who have been in a very long, terrible Egypt experience. But he says in Hosea 14.1, O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. And then he says in Hosea 13.9, O Israel, thou hast destroyed thyself, but in me is thine help. We find ourselves, like Israel, 
when we say, we might say like Israel does, we don't have any strength to do that. We can't do that. And then God says in Isaiah 27, 5, he says, when the feeling of no strength come on, he says, or let him take hold of my strength. You see God putting out his arm. He says, take a hold of my arm. Let him take hold of my strength that he may make peace with me and he shall make peace with me. So God's made it so easy with these verses for anyone to return to him. You know, if a person has never been reconciled to God, if a person has never been saved, has no friendship with God at all, if a person's in that state, God could not have made it easier for a lost person to be saved. Why? Because in Romans 10.3, it says, For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It couldn't be easier. What is the name of the Lord? That's the Lord Jesus Christ. So we can say, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ shall be saved. How do you do that? You call on the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus Christ, save me from my sins. That's it. It's so easy. It's so simple. Whosoever shall call is so simple. Whosoever shall call, that's all. You can't remember it that way. He could have made it easier. That's whosoever shall call. It's enough. It's dainu. It's enough. And so he made it so easy. And for the believer who falls into sin. God's made it so easy to put the end of it when he said in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins on one hand and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, all we have to do is confess and God does all the rest. So you can remember that way. All we do is confess, God does the rest. Whosoever shall call, that's all. See, we confess, God does the rest. He, what does God do? He forgives us. What's that mean? That means that he removes the external roadblock that stands between us and God. Forgiveness. And then he cleanses us. What does that mean? That means that God removes the internal roadblock that stands between us and God. So when we read in verse 3 that after Abraham had reached the place of the altar, which he had made there at the first, and there Abraham called on the name of the Lord... What was it that Abraham was telling God when he called on the name of the Lord? He was confessing, was confessing his sin in the terrible Egypt experience. And God was being faithful there to forgive Abraham for his sin, to cleanse Abraham from all his unrighteousness. And that put in place the second bookend on this terrible Egypt experience. When we go down into Egypt, and have a start of a terrible Egypt experience, the devil says to us, there is no other bookend. You just, you've stumbled and you've fallen. That's what the devil says. And just unpack, because this is your new life. Your new life. And the devil says, look at all those people that know that you're a Christian. You can't go back to your Christian life. Everyone will say, you're a hypocrite. You've got to stay where you are. See, the devil says, you can't go back. Now, God is so disgusted with you. God would never take you back after what you've done. You're finished. It's all over for you. There's no way back for you. And the devil says that. The devil loves to say that. There's no way back for you. But that's not what God is saying. See, the devil is saying, you really blew it, pal. You're finished as a Christian. But the devil, he doesn't have the words of God. Because what God's words is, God is calling out. And he said, there's always a way back. 
And so God is calling out, and he's calling out, like we saw in this verse here, with the word first, and he's calling out, and he's, you know, he'd say, Thou hast left thy first love, from Revelation 2.4. You know, he's calling out from the next verse, Revelation 2.5, you say, Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, repent and do the first works. And Abraham had heard God calling out, with the word first to him, he heard God like say to him, Abraham, Abraham, the problem is you've left your first love. See, he heard God saying that. And that's what we see Abraham doing when he's, as soon as he comes up out of Egypt, Abraham is making this beeline back to his first love, back to God as his first love. And Abraham has heard God calling out to him and he says, Abraham, remember Therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works. And that's what we see Abraham doing in verse 4. And he goes unto the place of the altar, which he had made there at the first. And there Abraham called, Abraham called on the name of the Lord. So what's he doing? He's remembering. Therefore, from whence he had fallen, Abraham is repenting. Abraham is doing the first works. So what we're seeing here in Abraham is Abraham being healed. That's a great Think about that. Abraham is being healed. We see Abraham in the healing process. Jehovah Jesus told Moses in Exodus 15, 26, very important words. He said, I am the Lord that healeth thee. What a great statement he said. I, several years ago at a conference for infectious disease clinicians, I heard a lecture by Dr. Harriet Jones. And Dr. Jones, Dr. Harriet Jones, Dr. Jones, she guides the wound management clinic at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And under her leadership, there have been great achievements at this place. And so she specializes in limb salvage. And so as a result, the University of Mississippi has one of the lowest amputation rates, for, especially for diabetic patients in the country. And so Dr. Jones at this lecture was describing this incredible symphonic elegance of the wound healing process in such a way, she described it in such a way that there was no doubt in my mind that she believed in God, that she had believed that, the, that God put this healing process together. And so we made contact, and she's a believer, and she's put together our wound healing display at the Creation Museum, and then she made a lecture for us on God's elegant wound healing process. Really something. So I told you a few weeks ago how I nearly cut my finger off when I was chopping celery. You know, you, you may remember, I certainly do. <laughs> and at first, you know, I wondered, after I cut my finger, I wondered, am I going to lose my finger? You know, I see this big, huge flap of skin and the blood and everything. I think, is it going to heal? And so, and I bought all sorts of Band-Aids for my finger. Oh, I have the collection. I have the world's collection of Band-Aids. <laughs> Fabric ones, waterproof ones, ones impregnated with, with uh, neosporin and knuckle and fingertip ones and spot ones. I got McKesson. I got them all. So yesterday, when my wife cut her finger, well, I just flew into action. I couldn't wait to get the right Band-Aid for her. <laughs> because I had this great interest in the healing of my finger, see? It's healing. See, there it is right there. See? It's healing. So, and so after I cut myself, so I go to Dr. Bushman, the skin doctor in La Mesa, and I said, you know, what can be done to make it heal? And he looks at it, and he says, nothing. He says, it'll heal on its own, see? So I walk out of the doctor's office. I thought to myself, that's what I paid for? 
<laughs> I paid for the doctor to tell me that it, there's nothing he can do, it'll heal on its own. And so slowly, over weeks, I've been monitoring it and watching it every morning in the nighttime to kind of rub it. And, and I've been watching my finger heal. It's an amazing thing. And um, it's just wonderful. Um, healing is a wonderful process. It's just, it's incredible. One of the main thrusts of our cancer clinic down there in Mexico was to design treatments that would just assist the body or help the body to heal itself through the immune system and so forth. But these last few weeks, I've been watching my finger heal from the inside. That's been the amazing thing, is the inside, you know, is this dead flap of tissue, which is which is numb, you know, I couldn't feel anything, but gradually feelings coming back, you know, it's kind of amazing. And it's being replaced by new tissue from the inside. See, from the inside, little trash trucks are going to my finger and they're hauling away the trash, you know. <laughs> and other little trucks are coming with building supplies and they're building new tissue. That's amazing. That's just an elegant process. And I've wondered, what would it be like if there was no healing process? You know, I thought, well, and I started out one day with a perfectly good finger. It was okay. And then I wounded it. And with no healing process, well, I would just watch it deteriorate and gradually fall off. See? But that's not what I'm watching. I've been watching this elegant healing process. Now, how does that happen? How does the healing of my finger happen? Well, because the physical healing of my finger has been made possible by God. See, that's the key. The healing has been made possible by God because God loves healing. God is all about healing. So when he says in Exodus 15, 26, I am the Lord that healeth thee, in other words, he's giving a name for himself, God the healer. He's giving a title for himself. And so God is not just about physical healing of wounds. God is about spiritual healing as well. As a matter of fact, the physical healing of wounds is only a teaching picture of the greater spiritual healing of the soul. So in other words, God is saying, do you see this wound healing there? That's a picture of what I want to do with your soul. I want to heal your soul like I'm healing your finger and healing you. Your soul has been wounded by your sin. And I want to heal that spiritual wound because I am the Lord that healeth thee. So for the person who's not a believer, God's saying, come to me. Let me heal your soul from your sin that's destroying you. My blood was shed on the cross. That'll heal your soul. Just call. That's all. For the believer, God's saying, come to me and let me heal your soul from your sin. Just confess. I'll do the rest. And that's what we're seeing here with Abraham. It's the spiritual healing of Abraham that's taking place. A spiritual healing of his soul. A healing made possible by God. But when we talk about the return of Abraham, which we're looking at here, from his sin and our return to God from our sin, there's one thing we should never overlook. And that is that this has been made possible by God. We're not characterized as believers. We're not characterized by our falls. We're characterized by our getting up again. The wicked are characterized by their fall and that they don't get back up again. The wicked just have one bookend, so to speak, on their life. That's what it says. That's what it means in Proverbs 24, 6, where it says, For a just man falleth seven times and riseth up again, but the wicked shall fall into mischief. 
The Bible does not portray the believer as never falling. The Bible portrays the believer as getting up when he falls. And that's the reason the believer can get up seven times because after he falls, because God has made that possible. And God's taken him back again. That's why we worship him. That's why we thank him for taking us back, for being the father to us of the prodigal son. We're the prodigal son. So we're sitting there, we see the prodigal son, he's getting this whole thing all worked out, what he's going to speech and everything. In Luke 15, 21, he says, okay, now I'm going to say, Father, I've sinned against heaven. That sounds pretty good. And in thy sight am no more worthy to be called thy son. See, he's all, work, he's all thinking about what he's going to say, which is good. But then we really see God's nature from the response of the prodigal son's father. He says, and then the father said to him, his servants, bring forth thou the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, bring hither the fatted calf, kill it, let's eat, be merry. This my son was dead, is alive again, he was lost, he's found, and they began to be merry. See, when a person comes to God in repentance, and he's expecting God to say, well, okay, now I'm going to really teach you a lesson. But no, God says, let's have a party. That's what he's doing here. This is a great day. The lost has been found. That's God. Because he loves the healing process. I am the Lord that healeth thee. Now, this is an interesting little statement in verse 1, where it says, came up out of Egypt, and then it says, and lot with him, and lot with him. Now, we're going to see in this chapter the character of Lot revealed. It's just going to come out. And what we're going to find is going to make us look at those four words in verse 1, and Lot with him, and then we're going to ask the question, just exactly how much was Lot really with Abraham? And we're going to find out that Abraham could take Lot with him out of Egypt, and Abraham did, but Abraham could not take Egypt out of Lot. See, that's the issue here. And Abraham did not take Egypt out of Lot. So it's going to come home to us in this chapter that Lot was physically with Abraham, but Lot was not spiritually on the same page as Abraham. And that's going to be interesting for us because there are children who are like Lot and they're with Abraham, and the children are physically with their parents, but their parents go to church, their children come to church, but the children are like Lot, and they're, they're looking at the world in a way that's different from the way the parents look at the world. It's the opposite, and unfortunately, sometimes it happens that like Lot, the time comes when those children go to make their own decision and make very clear that they weren't really with them. So with those words, Lot with him, it teaches us that just because someone is with a person who's walking with God, that doesn't mean that that person is also walking with God. Now verse 2. It says in verse 2 that Abraham was very rich in cattle. We saw last week how the word rich means heavy, burdened down, and Abraham was rich in this cattle. And it says here, and this is really setting the stage. This is explaining to us What's going to happen? The problem. It's creating the scene for the problem that's going to follow out of this. It's interesting that Abraham brought out of Egypt cattle and one pretty little hand named Hagar, and both the cattle and Hagar would be the reason for untold grief for Abraham. This is a grief of separation within his home. All right, now, verse 5, it also says that Lot also, which went up with Abraham, had flocks and herds and tents. Now, this is stated to finish setting the stage for the trouble that's going to come. There's going to be this collision. 
great collision is going to happen. But the tragedy of verse 5 are the three words, and Lot also. It's a tragedy because and Lot also is not referring to the verse 4 before. You know, the last statement of verse 4 says, and Abram called on the name of the Lord. Then it says, and Lot also, and it would be nice if it meant, and Lot also called on the name of the Lord, but it doesn't. It doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean that Lot also called on the name of the Lord. It means what it says. And Lot also means that Lot also had flocks and herds. So the fact that Lot also does not refer to, and there Abram called on the name of the Lord, explains to us this, why this collision is going to happen, and this tragedy that's going to take place in this chapter. So here's a collision, verse 6. The land was not able to bear them. They might dwell together, yachad, or like echad, yachad, and their substance was great so that they could not dwell together. Again, yachad or echad. So twice in this verse, it was that Abraham and Lot could not be echad. Thank you for listening to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. If you would like to hear more of this message or other messages by Tom Cantor, visit our website, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or go to itunes.com and search for the Friendship with God podcast. All messages are cataloged by date and all available for free listening and free download. You can also call us directly for more information at 800 800- 247 800-247-3051. Thanks for listening to Friendship with God with Tom Cantor. Join the Creation Earth History Museum for our 10th Annual Museum Day Family Festival, Saturday, September 26th. Hi, this is Jason Payne, museum curator. I want to personally invite you and your families to a free, fun-filled event, including new exhibits, testimonies from leading scientific experts, meet NASA astronaut Colonel Jeffrey Williams, and many others. Activities for the entire family. So join us Saturday, September 26th from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Go online to learn more at creationsd.org or call 619-599-1104. 619-599-1104. 